Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Murder Mile. Having returned to 74 Maltings Place on Saturday the 16th of September 2000, the couple's turbulent relationship had descended into a bitter argument. We're rowing. Someone is going to get hurt. Jane had endured a long history of physical, emotional and mental abuse at the hands of her boyfriend, Tommy. A sexual sadist aroused by pain, domination and cruelty. At roughly 3am, having already been anally raped, the abuse of Jane Andrews continued. He buggered me. And although she would find some peace in her sleep, the violence didn't stop. I'm gonna fucking kill you. It was self-defense, plain and simple. Living in fear for her life, she had placed a cricket bat by the side of the bed and a kitchen knife by her side, solely for protection. And as this wild-eyed sadist yanked her by the hair back across the bed to teach this terrified lady a lesson she would never forget. I was holding the knife as he came towards me. I don't know. It just went into him. In a blind, petrified panic over what this sexual monster would do to her if ever he caught her, Jane dashed into her white Volkswagen Polo and fled. Not knowing that Tommy Cressman was already dead. That was Jane's story. But how much of it was true? My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 149, The Abuse of Jane Andrews, Part 2. There are two sides to every story, and this is Tommy's. Thomas Ashley Cressman, known to his friends as Tommy, was born on the 22nd of October 1960 to Harry and Barbara Cressman. And with two older siblings, Rick and Kathy, 
Tommy was the baby of the family. Raised in Hampton and Arden, just outside Birmingham, Tommy was blessed with a privileged upbringing thanks to his father's entrepreneurial spirit. Alongside his brother Albert, Harry Cressman had founded the car firm Bristol Street Motors, who had a love of family and a passion for classic cars, all of which rubbed off on Tommy as a boy and made him into the man he would later become. Given a great start in life, Tommy could easily have become a selfish, jaded, arrogant man-baby who took whatever he deemed to be his and treated others like dirt. But he didn't. With twinkly brown eyes and a cheeky smile, Tommy was charming and caring with an infectious personality. He was the type of person you would naturally gravitate towards, as he exuded warmth and he always looked as if he had a laugh in his throat. In 1986, Tommy trained as a stockbroker for Prudential-based securities in New York, but later quit as he didn't have the instincts to make a killing in this cutthroat industry. And besides, money wasn't his passion. Tommy loved classic cars. He owned eight, including four vintage Mercedes, and having set up a business making specialist car covers, he partnered up with British racing driver Sir Sterling Moss. It's easy to see why many mistook Tommy as immature, as he didn't fall into the traps laid down by life and society. His job wasn't a nine-to-five grind to pay the bills. He loved fast cars, speedboats and Tintin cartoons. And although some said he never grew up, others would praise the fact that he never lost his enthusiasm for the things he loved as a child. Often, he was unfairly pigeonholed as a confirmed bachelor. But as marriage and children were never part of his plan, he wasn't ready to settle down, as he was only in his 30s and he still felt he had a lot of life to live. Tommy had many girlfriends, which was unsurprising, as he was handsome, funny and kind. But sadly, they never lasted long. This wasn't down to a dark sadistic streak or a nasty brutal violence he would inflict on these terrified ladies. It ended because he was married to his work. He knew that, they knew that, and he remained on good terms with his exes. As for Tommy's dark side, it's true. He collected British, American and German militaria, a hobby not uncommon amongst history buffs in a country still obsessed with World War II. And although it was a decent collection, it wasn't a shrine to the Führer. In his bedside drawer, police would later find two SNM magazines, Desire and Stiletto Heel. Everybody has their outlet for stress, and Tommy's was sex lines, roleplay and masturbation. But many of his ex-girlfriends would state that Tommy was a considerate lover who would never subject them to physical or sexual abuse.
Tommy was kind, sweet, and supportive. He disliked confrontation, and he wasn't a rapist. In August 1998, a men's restaurant in Knightsbridge, Tommy and Jane met on a blind date, and being instantly smitten with the stunning redhead, he swept her off her feet, and the romance ensued. Having recently been divorced and made redundant by the Duchess, with her life collapsing all around her. Jane Andrews saw this millionaire's son as her one chance to return to the luxuriant lifestyle she had loved. Even a close friend of Jane's would later state, "The relationship was very important to her. It became her new obsession." Their first weeks of romance were passionate and loving. Tommy saw Jane as his friends would. She was very sweet. Jane reminded me of a delicate little bird. But there were many details about her past that Tommy didn't know, especially about her dark side. In April 1989, Jane met and later married Christopher Dunn Butler, a divorced IBM executive. In February 2001, she stated to a psychiatrist hired by the trial lawyers, "The relationship broke down amicably. There was never any violence or abuse." By November 2001, she told a different psychiatrist that Christopher became violent, and I was scared to leave him. His friends and family deny that any assault took place. There were no police reports, and as Jane also admitted, he was a good, decent man, which explains why they remained on such good terms. And whenever she needed a friend, including before and after Tommy's murder, the first and only person Jane called was Christopher. In 1996, Jane fell in love with Dmitri Horn. The son of a Greek shipping magnate. He was single, rich, and seeing him as her shot at happiness, Jane became obsessed with snaring this man in matrimony. Her friends would state, "When things were going fine, she was lovely. But as soon as things didn't go well, she would go absolutely crazy." Dimitri said, "I was living in fear. She followed me everywhere. And when he ended the relationship, she went berserk, turned violent, punching and kicking. I was afraid because when she got violent, she became unpredictable." The abuse of Jane Andrews was relentless. She sent him death threats. She vandalized his car. She ransacked his flat. She smashed his possessions, and she stalked him wherever he went. So terrified was Dmitri that he paid her to leave him forever. And when she wouldn't, he called the police. 
But Jane, it is said, was not averse to concocting a tall tale to elicit sympathy whenever she needed it. As a teenage girl, gripped with bouts of depression, anxiety, and an eating disorder, she attributed some of her psychological issues to the abuse she said she suffered as a child at the hands of one of her brothers, in which the sex was our little secret, and that bad girls who tell go to prison. An allegation denied by the offender and the first time she ever mentioned being abused was in the spring of 1999, a quarter of a century later, and one year before Tommy's murder. Child abuse became a key part of her conviction's appeal, but it was rejected owing to a lack of evidence. Tommy found her jealous and overbearing, if he so much as looked at another woman, she would give him the evil eye. If he talked to another woman, she would drag him away. When he went on a stag do, the second he got off the plane, he was barraged with texts and voicemails, demanding to know, where are you? What are you doing? Why haven't you called me? And whenever they went out together with friends, she was very vocal about the fact that he was not committing to her. By the autumn of 1999, barely a year into their relationship, they were no longer sleeping together. Jane was struggling to adjust to an ordinary life after the royal redundancy, and lasting just two months as the PR manager for Claridge's hotel, she was now entirely reliant on Tommy. And like so many couples trapped in a loveless existence, they hung on, believing that this was a blip, but unwilling to change. Maybe this is where and why they engaged in roleplay and S&M. Maybe like a couple disappearing off for a dirty weekend, this was their attempt to reignite and spice up their love life. Maybe they both had a fondness for sexual sadism, with one playing the dominator and the other as the submissive. A fact impossible to prove, as one half of the couple was dead. Or maybe, Jane only did this to please Tommy. I would sleep, I would sleep with someone, possibly on the first date, because I was frightened if I didn't, they would go. I allowed men to do anything they wanted to me. Every relationship is full of secrets and lies. But the more theirs collapsed, the further they retreated into their own private spaces and fantasies. For him, it was fetishes and masturbation. For her, it was seeing a psychiatrist and perhaps inventing stories to elicit sympathy in which she was the victim. We shall never know the real truth, as even the smallest of details about their private lives can be inflated and twisted into unfair proportions to make them both look like the Holy Mother or a monster. But it was during their frequent fights that those secrets became a weapon with which to beat each other with. 
She threatened to tell Tommy's business partners and parents about his dirty little habits. And he threatened to go to the press or the police to expose the things she had seen in the royal household. It was these secrets which destroyed their relationship. But Tommy still had one more secret hidden away. At a conference in Las Vegas, Tommy met Deborah DiMacili. They were never intimate together, but she was someone who shared his sexual predilections, and they regularly corresponded. In January 2000, just nine months before Tommy's death, Jane hacked into his laptop and found the emails. Described in court as being written like a cheap novelette style, some contained a sexual fantasy about a submissive woman in a maid's outfit tied to a four-poster bed and crying, finish tying me up and rape me. With many references to large kisses and licks in all the right places and vigorous anal sex. Jane admitted she was very angry and very upset by the emails, which Tommy said was just a bit of fun and he promised to stop. But what hurt her the most was what he had written about her. In the emails, Tommy describes Jane as getting like that pair of slippers I can't throw away. The relationship was dead, the love was gone, and they were both treading water. But Jane was still fixated on marrying Tommy. As for her, there was hope. In the bin, at 74 Maltings Place, police would later find an undated torn-up letter written by Tommy. In it, he wrote, Dearest Jane, I do care about you. Yes, times have been difficult for us over the last year, but I do like you. However, over the last two months, I have felt like I've been walking on eggshells all the time. Your mood swings have been hard to predict. In it, he admitted his mistakes. He apologized for his failings. He noted that he hadn't tried hard enough. And he signed it off. Tom, kiss, kiss, kiss. But was Tommy using her love as a weapon? He knew which carrots to dangle and which strings to pull. In order to emotionally break her, or as a very loving man, deep down, did he really care? In the summer of 2000, they went house hunting in the Cotswolds. This definitely happened as they registered with an estate agent in Chipping Norton under the name of Mr. and Mrs. Cressman. But did he really want to buy a house with Jane? Did he want her to become his wife? Or was he simply pacifying her to make a difficult life less terrible? Either way, it's easy to see why Jane became confused. 
from the 1st to the 15th of September 2000. They went on a romantic holiday in the French and Italian Rivieras. A taste of the luxuriant life she was so desperate to return to, and she hoped a marriage proposal. But it was not to be. Amidst the stunning sunsets which glistened over the clear blue sea, echoed their bitter words, as Tommy made it abundantly clear that he had no intention of marrying Jane, ever. As a last resort to lure him back, she threatened suicide by driving off the edge of a cliff. But with the love gone, it is alleged that he replied, Don't do that, darling. That's my brother's car you're driving. By Friday the 15th of September 2000, Tommy and Jane had split up for good. At Nice Airport, the couple were seen bitterly arguing. An incident which Jane would later dispute. If it was true that he said he wasn't going to marry me, then I'd say so. And yet she made several calls to her ex-husband Christopher, confirming, this time it is definitely over. Some of which were made in the car, with Tommy and his mother in earshot. When later asked why, Jane stated, I was trying to goad him. I was being a complete bitch. It was the thing I said whenever we fought. You don't love me anymore. You don't want to marry me. I'm not making excuses for what ended up happening. I'm just trying to get across that there was no premeditation, no plan to kill. Over the next 36 hours, right up to the point when Tommy was murdered, the two of them were alone. According to Jane, they returned home to Malting's place. Collecting their post, she took a small kitchen knife to the bedroom to open the letters. And later, although exhausted from arguing, they made love. Saturday the 16th of September 2000 was Tommy's last day alive. As the couple had continued to argue throughout the day, Tommy went to his office nearby, as Jane had called in sick. At 8.47am, Tommy called his mother, during which he sounded harassed. Jane made an appointment for both of them to see Michael Cameron, a relationship counsellor, but Tommy later cancelled this. At 11.35am, as they argued further, Tommy called the police, stating, We're rowing. Someone is going to get hurt. Is anyone injured? No. But if you don't get here soon, someone is going to get hurt. And exactly one minute later, Jane telephoned her ex-husband Christopher and told him, Tommy is attacking me. Allegedly, a physical fight ensued and Tommy tried to throttle her. But neither of them sustained any injuries. It's around this time that both versions of the story dramatically deviate.
at 12 p.m., moments after the call ended. According to Jane, he tied her to the bed with the cord of her dressing gown and anally raped her, saying, I'm going to hurt you and no one will believe you. Only, it was at that moment that Tommy was seen in the street, making a call to his friend Richie Gore, in which he said they had had an argument. She had driven off, and that she had threatened to kill herself. Police records prove that Tommy and Jane exchanged insults and accusations by mobile phone over the next few hours, with Tommy in or near Malting's place and Jane driving a car in West London. But with neither party looking to de-escalate their bitter fight, Tommy suggested ways in which, if she was actually serious, Jane could kill herself. And out of spite, at 1.54pm, Jane faxed the illicit emails to the employer of Tommy's secret sexual pen pal, Deborah DiMichili, and later to his parents. At 8pm, Jane returned home. She would later state, A part of me still wanted to go back. I couldn't believe what had happened in the morning. I remember watching him through the window. He was sitting in an armchair watching television. I was scared, and when he heard me, he leapt up. I thought he was going to be angry, but instead he threw his arms around me and said, Welcome home! It was all mind games. Later that night, having been made to feel worthless, Jane reluctantly returned to the bedroom they shared, asking, with me, of course. As again, he tried to anally rape her. You know you like it. You, like it. you know you do. All of which was true, but only if you believe Jane's version. A police investigation would later confirm that when Jane returned home at 8pm, she packed a black bag full of spare clothes, underwear and toiletries, and hid it in a cupboard. Earlier that day, she had already filled a car with petrol, and with a small kitchen knife used to open the mail still in the bedroom, and Tommy's prized cricket bat nearby, she placed an 8-inch carving knife underneath her side of the bed. That night, Tommy sat quietly watching the Sydney Olympics, and at 10pm he went to bed. He was dressed in boxer shorts and a t-shirt, and being so short-sighted that he could barely see 20 centimeters in front of his face, he placed his glasses on the bedside table and drifted off to sleep. He didn't wake in the middle of the night. He didn't punch her in the face. He didn't rape her. He didn't drag her across the bed by her hair. And he didn't scream I'm gonna fucking kill you. as he strangled her. As when Jane attacked him with the cricket bat, 
Tommy was lying face down on the bed, asleep. Stunned but not unconscious, as Tommy slowly moved, Jane grabbed the eight-inch knife, later stating, I was holding the knife as it came towards me. I don't know, it just went into him. Only an autopsy would later confirm that she hadn't stabbed him in the front, but the back. And as the blade plunged deep into his ribcage, through his left lung and nicked his heart, as his body filled with blood and he slowly drowned in a pool of his own fluids, she partially withdrew the blade and then twisted it. Watching him in his last few moments alive, as this terrified man struggled to remove the knife from his own back. Jane claimed she disliked SNM, but that is the epitome of a sadist. After that, she said she fled in panic. Only she was calm enough to take a shower, to grab the bag she had hid, to get changed to clean up some of the blood, to call her ex-husband Christopher at 3.10am, during which again she bemoaned how Tommy had refused to marry her, but said nothing about the murder or the rape, and tied the cord of the bathrobe from the banister to the door handle, for fear of what this sexual monster would do to her if he ever caught her, even though Tommy was already dead. In police interviews, Jane would state, I didn't go out of my way to hurt him. I was just protecting myself. Jane Andrews' trial began at the Old Bailey on the 23rd of April 2001. In this three and a half week trial, Whereas the prosecution set out to prove, without a shadow of a doubt, that this was a premeditated, cold-blooded killing by a woman scorned. Jane stuck to her story about rape and pleaded self-defense. A jury of ten women and two men deliberated for twelve hours and found her guilty of murder. On the 16th of May 2001, she was sentenced to life in prison. But owing to changes in the law, this was reduced to 11 years before parole could be considered. In 2012, having served the remainder of her term at HMP Bullwood Hall in Essex, her parole was rejected as she was judged to be a danger to the public, especially men. On the 19th of June 2015, she was released on license and sent to a probation hostel with the hope of reintegrating her back into society. Three years later, she was arrested for breaching the terms of her license, having harassed a former lover. She was reconvicted, sent back to prison, but was re-released from prison on the 8th of August 2019 and is now living somewhere in the east of England.
Jane Andrews, the former dresser to the Duchess of York, who dreamed of a great life, an amazing career, hobnobbing with the elite and settling down with a wealthy husband, a far cry from her upbringing, was last known to be stacking shelves for £8.50 an hour in a Morrison supermarket. A job she could easily have got back home in Grimsby. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. As always, if the highlight of your day is listening to the aimless bluster of a fat, bald loser with an Eva Green fixation and three bellies, one for tea, one for cake, and one for everything else, stay tuned till after the break for more info on this case, plus a little quiz in Extra Mile. A big thank you to my new Patreon supporters who are Claire Lou B and Barry Wilson. Thank you for supporting the show. It's very much appreciated. Plus a belated thank you to Beth, James and two anonymous people who made donations via the supporter link. I thank you too. Plus a thank you to everyone who listens to the show and shares it with their friends. Murder was researched, written and performed by myself with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <coughs> Yay! Let's check that I was recording that. I was recording that. Thank God for that. I got near the end and then I thought to myself... Did I press record? Because what I do at the start is I, I start... Because in the morning, my, my mouth isn't working properly. I, I press record, and then I stop, and then I delete that, and then I start again. I do that a couple of times until I can get a good flow going. But this time, I got to the end, and I thought, shit, did I press record? 
Oh. <coughs> anyway, how is everyone? Are you all good? Are you all good and well and happy and hanging in there? Hanging in there. Winter's on its way, isn't it? I don't mind winter. Winter's all right. Let's just open up some uh, some windows, get some air in. Uh, let the uh, the sounds of Cootie McCootface come in. He's currently uh, just across here. There's three ducks having a good old preening session. There's a moorhen dotting around them, which they don't seem that bothered by. And Coot is currently getting a little bit arsy about stuff. You know what he's like. He's always arsy. He's always got a bit of a bee in his bonnet about something. Anyway, let's open the back doors. Not the back doors as in the, the Uwe Mrs. style back doors. There we go. Back doors open, let some air in. Got to be careful because, uh, hang on. Oh, there we go. Oh, fresh air. God, that's nice. Got to be careful as I saw a big fat rat outside yesterday. Big fat rat. Hang on. Let's put these in. Tea on. Will it be tea or will it be coffee? Will it be tea or will it be coffee? It'll be coffee. It's still early and I haven't quite woken up yet. Still in my pyjamas. Still doing my thing. Pyjamas, coffee in. Here we go. Normally I would have preset this up, but I didn't do it today. Right, coffee in. Uh, bit of sugar, one. There we go. Powdered milk, as always. Because it's not quite, it's not quite cold enough for proper milk. Although I'm going off cow tip juice, so will I go back to? Uh, I, I'm quite enjoying, uh, quite enjoying all the soya milks now. I think they're quite nice and you kind of feel, they don't make you all bloaty. I get all bloaty and anyone who knows me is quite windy. No, everyone knows that I'm windy, not everyone who knows me is windy, although a lot of people who know me are windy. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, so, oh, so welcome to welcome to Extra Mile, of course. I forgot to say that. Uh, the unscripted, unedited bit. This is a bit of waffle. We'll go into some quiz questions in a bit and then some more info about this case. Uh, what's going on here? Still got a little bit of a chest infection going on. Been three weeks now but it's not COVID, which is good. I think it's just taking my lungs a little while to repair. I don't think it's helping wearing masks as well. Masks, I, I still wearing masks as you should be. And soon, because we're going to winter, we'll all be wearing masks again. So really we should have stuck with them. But I think wearing them a lot, I think you're breathing in a lot of CO2 and don't think, and, and moisture. And I don't think our, our lungs really like that. Oh, anyway. Oh yeah, the big fat rat. Big fat rat, saw him outside today, uh, yesterday. Uh, outside the boat normally rats scurry away but this was a big fat one and basically he stood and he looked at me in the middle of the path and then he just kind of waddled out the way and i was just like oh you a cocky little bastard aren't you so uh i'm being careful i've got one door open at the moment i just don't want to make sure he doesn't come in he's a big fat one so he won't be as limber as the other rat that crept in thank god ah what else is going on uh, Mud of my walk's almost done. Got se As of today, I've got seven more to do. Uh, they're almost all sold out, uh, which is good. So if you do have vouchers and you want to use them up, now is the time because there won't be any more tours. Or if you want to, you can transfer them to the new tour uh, in the new year. I probably won't have those up and running till probably spring or something. But but you can try. I, I haven't got a problem with that. You can try. Even though I think the new tours might be a little bit more expensive, I'll give them to you at the same price if you've already got a ticket, which is good. Um, let's just put the water in. Uh, there we go. 
Lovely, lovely instant coffee. Oh, yummy. A relic of World War II. I don't I like the proper coffee. I, fi I find it a little bit too strong for me. I get a bit fizzy on it. Uh, what else is going on? Um, I'm just conscious that I'm racing through this a bit just because we've got a lot to get through. Look, today's cake got from my local bakery. This is a little cherry bakewell. Lovely. Looking forward to cracking into that in a second. That'll be my treat for a nice record. Um, today's episode, hope you enjoyed that. Um, something different. Uh, what I, uh, You might be listening to this and going, oh, I didn't really uh, connect with these people. I didn't emotionally connect. I didn't find the story sad. The, I, that's the point. I don't. I didn't want this to be a sad one. Uh, I didn't want you to emotionally connect. What I just wanted to do was to write a, a story about perspective. Uh, so every story has multiple sides, and uh, uh, quite often when you go to court cases, you know people things will be twisted and subverted in a way to make one person look like an angel and the other one to look like a maniac. Uh, and that's just what I wanted to get across with these two episodes. So they're not meant to be. Uh, you're not meant to get emotionally involved with them. Uh, but there's there's some coming up which are which are which will be real gut wrenchers. I'm looking forward to writing those. I think that's what that's what as I say that's what I like with murder with murder Marley's. having so when you have a really emotional one. I think it's important to have one the following week, which is either a funny one or a factual one. Do you know it's it's nice to balance it out. Otherwise, murder Marley just comes predictable. <laughs> <coughs> Oh, lungs, come on. Uh, so, let's do some quiz questions. Get yourself ready. Uh, question number one. What did Jane take the small kitchen knife... Um, come on, Michael, read. Question one. Why did Jane take the small kitchen knife to the bedroom? So, question one. Why did Jane take the small kitchen knife to the bedroom? Question two. How far from his face could Tommy see without glasses? Question three. What was Tommy's full name? Ooh. Question four. Uh, Tommy's father owned which company? Question five. Which infamous racing driver did Tommy set up his company with? Uh, question six. What did Tommy train as before setting up his own company? Question seven. Jane was briefly the PR manager for which famous London hotel? Question eight. Uh, what type of car did Jane drive? Question nine. Which prison was Jane sent to before her release? And question ten. Which supermarket chain was Jane last seen working in? So, uh, don't forget, uh, you can, uh, if, if you subscribe to, uh, the Patreon account for Murder Mile, you get like, you get, I, I save all of, pretty much all of the photos that I get, uh, for Patreon now, it's all in there, the, the little videos are in there, you've got Cake of the Week, but also you have Walk With Me, and Walk With Me is kind of, it's, I record after I've edited this, I go on a little walk, and I take you through all the secrets that you hear in the episode, so, uh, everything... You, you think you might hear everything in extra mile, but you won't. It's a lot of a lot of it is saved for walk with me. And if you enjoy this this kind of blather, um, walk with me is kind of the same. Except you hear me walking up a hill and getting out of breath because I'm a fat bastard. Right, let's dive in some extra stuff, and then we're going to do the question. We can do answers to the questions as long as I don't forget. Let me have a quick slurp of tea. 
Oh, it's too hot. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that I left out, especially post-murder. So we're going to focus on that. Uh, Tommy's body wasn't found uh, for about 36 hours. So on Monday, the 18th of September in the afternoon, to be precise. Uh, Monday morning, um, uh, some of Tommy's uh, employees went to their office on Monday morning. They found that the alarm was not set and his computer was uh, was not on, which was uh, unusual for him because he was normally quite meticulous with you know uh switching off his computer and setting the alarm but not this time uh, don't forget tommy had kind of been back and forth between uh the the office and the flat um i uh, when discovery was made they called uh his mum uh, she tried to reach him on the phone and it was actually an employee who went round there uh, got into the room and found tommy on the bed uh, he was face down on the bed spread eagled with his head split open a four-inch gaping hole in his chest and the cricket bat at the end of the bed. Uh, Jane was missing. Uh, police did an appeal at that point uh, to find Jane Andrews. They hadn't. They, they just needed to talk to her at that point. Uh, but obviously, when you look at the details of the case, obviously she was uh, a person of interest. Um, she was last seen outside a neighbour's house on Sunday morning, which would have been about 3am when she disappeared. All the ports and airports were put on alert on Monday night and police forces were given Jane's details. <coughs> Ooh. Uh, let's dive down a little bit more. What else we got? Uh, they contacted her ex-husband, Christopher Dunbutler. Um, uh, he was able to confirm that he had spoken with Jane about, I think it was about 3.10am that morning. Um, they had access to her mobile phone. She was still using that. So they they were kind of using that to try and triangulate where she was. Oh, what else we got? Da, 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 da. Um, they, they knew where she was and where he was at the time of the different murders because they were both communicating with each other. Sorry, Tommy and Jane between each other by text and calling each other throughout the day so they knew exactly where she was at what point and where he was he was basically in in their house or in his office and that was pretty much it she was driving across london different places um uh it became it went into the press that they were looking for jane around that point uh even the duchess of york left two voicemails for jane andrews asking her to give herself up telling her you must come forward and help the police uh jane andrews sent messages back claiming uh she did not know why everyone was trying to contact her and insisting that everything was fine when she left so already at this point she's saying you know, nothing happened but it clearly was Ah, what else we got? In the intervening days, she made no report to the police. She sent a number of bizarre text messages claiming that she did not know what what had happened to Cressman. Uh, I was texting absolute absolute gibberish, she would later say. Um, uh, Why I say uh, I didn't know what happened. Uh, I sit here now and I say I don't want to believe what had happened. At the time, I was feeling sheer terror, absolute disbelief. There was no pretending. Uh, let's see. Uh, police. So, uh, um, as mentioned, police were kind of pinpointing her. Uh, obviously, they've got her car details, so they've already got a car registration plate. So, because we have the uh, the police cameras that are around everywhere and the traffic cameras that can kind of triangulate that, they've got her 
her mobile phone number. So, you know, she was still using that. So they were able to work out that she'd kind of left London and she'd headed down near to Penzance, uh, which is uh, Cornwall, so far southwest of England, about as far as you could go. Uh, and which she made her way into a store um, and she bought herself some underwear which is an interesting thing to do, especially if you're fleeing from murder and you say to yourself, I'm going to go and buy myself a thong. Um, Winter the 20th September 2000, so this is about three days later, in a text exchange, she told a friend that she was in Cornwall. Cornwall police were alerted. Uh, they matched her mobile phone footage um, uh, and they found her white polo in a lay-by near Lissac in uh, Cornwall. Uh, Devon and Cornwall police sergeant found her curled up under a blanket in the back of her car. I won't say what type, because obviously that's uh, one of the questions. Uh, she had taken an overdose of painkillers, and once again she survived her suicide attempt. Was this an attempt to end her life, or was she looking for attention? Do you know, she seems to have made a lot of attempts, but uh, none of them ever seemed to be successful. Although. How many of them are ever really successful? Uh, she was examined at Derriford Hospital on Thursday the f- 21st and Friday the 22nd of September. Um, uh, he asked why she had not mentioned the alleged rape to a doctor at Derriford uh, Hospital in Ply- Plymouth. Uh, she was exa- examined by a female doctor uh, three times. Uh, and particularly wanted to impress to them on the police that she had acted in self-defence. Uh, what else was here there um, when she was examined by the doctors uh, there would be no proof of anal intercourse um, she said uh, because he had done it to me many times but not in a violent way uh, she was unable to explain why she had oh uh, why she had gone to buy, buy the thong in Penzance um, her reason was uh, she said if you had been anally raped uh, it is the most comf- comfortable garment. Is it the most comfortable garment to wear in those thir- circumstances? That's difficult to explain. It's something I have worn for many years. As I have said, the pain had subsided by Tuesday. So, uh, if he had anally raped her, uh, she said the pain had subsided, and there was no physical evidence to prove that. Uh, so she was taken back to Belgravia Police Station on Saturday, the twenty-second of September, and interviewed over four hours. Uh, in which she made a uh, a very lengthy statement. Um, some parts I've missed out of this story. She'd, uh, as she was about to flee, she'd written a series of suicide notes and left them in the in the house. Um, I've t- I t- I've deliberately taken those out of the sto- this story because it just convolutes everything. It's it's even more confusing as to why she would leave suicide notes, even though she really wasn't planning to kill herself at all. Um, what is there hang on just whizzing through this uh when she gave her statement her statement was not factually accurate or it was factually accurate as far as she likes to believe it was um uh the police also found in the house some of their holiday photos which uh, uh she said had been torn up um which had been torn up but she said they hadn't been torn up uh, there was no evidence that uh, sex had taken place in the bed. Uh, what else? Uh, her version of the story. She stuck with the story that he'd kind of uh, he tried to strangle her in bed. She grabbed a knife in panic. At one point in the story, she said that he tried to attack her. She ran downstairs to grab the knife and then came back. Uh, 
Um, she also said that uh, she tied the uh, end of her dressing cord ra- dressing gown cord around the door handle uh, so he couldn't get her but the, when the police checked his hand his fingerprints weren't found on the inside of uh, the door it was her fingerprints because she was the last one to go out via that door uh, if he was in there it would have been his prints on the top of the door uh, as it was going to trial on two occasions in October 2000 and again uh, 27th of March 2001 Jane was seen by Dr Gamble a specialist registrar in forensic psychiatry and psychotherapy uh, in his opi- in his opinion she exhibited some features of borderline personality disorder but the pattern of disturbance was not severe enough to make that diagnosis and her level of functioning was generally very good there was no evidence of mental illness and her response to an extremely traumatic event was normal uh, in December 2000, she was granted bail uh, with a condition that she lived with her parents, uh, which she did. Uh, there were further psychological tests, and uh, during many of these tests, it was here that she uh, she mentioned to them about the abuse that she had suffered, not only as a child, but from Tommy. So if you remember in episode one, uh, she was saying that she would be repeatedly hidden with a long wooden brush, made to feel... Um, uh, that she was worthless, uh, that he had hit her, he had tied her up, and had uh, forth- forceful anal intercourse. Uh, <coughs> what else we got? So there's a lot of stuff in there. What I don't want to do is, uh, is bore you with all the details. Because this is one of those cases when I was going through all the details and I was like, Christ, okay, how am I going to get my head around this? Because there's, there's multiple versions. And quite often... Obviously, we haven't got Tommy's version because he's dead. Obviously, we don't have many witnesses because they were there by themselves. Um, obviously, Jane has her story, but her story keeps changing. So it's hard to really pin down exactly uh, exactly what happened. We can only kind of... In some cases, it's a best guess. Uh, Tommy's funeral was held in the Garden of Ascension at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale, California. Um... What's this? We've got the trial, of course. Trial uh, took three and a half weeks in total. It was twelve-hour deliberation by the by the jury, which was uh, yeah, I think I said it was uh, ten women, two men. Um, <coughs> motive. Uh, they said that she stabbed him when she realised that their relationship was simply not going to last, and her hopes for marriage were evaporating as the heat went out of their relationship. So angry, so her anger and jealous rose up and led her to take terrible revenge on a man that she clearly loved. Um, she tried to diminish her role in the attack by saying that she stabbed him in self-defence when, when he attacked her. She pleaded not guilty to murder uh, and she denied that she intended to kill him uh, and said that there was no premeditation, even though there clearly was. Uh, um, uh... The uh, prosecution tried to use uh, evidence that he had um, attacked her previously. She got a broken arm uh, when they first started dating together. Uh, this became a bone of contention during the court because he, um, she said he was violent with her and broke her arm. Other people said that they were dancing and she slipped. 
So uh, unfortunately, that's the kind of thing that can happen in court is that you can take one piece of evidence, but it can be twisted into multiple different ways. Uh, even if even if you have kind of people people watching there, uh, the abuse that she suffered as a child uh, was used in court. But again, that's one hard to... It's, it's a difficult one because at the start, her mum kind of said it, that it didn't happen or her family said it didn't happen. But later on, her mum said, it seems to say, it, it depends on which perspective you have, that uh, it may have happened. Uh, so we don't know. Hence, the the uh, lock was put on the door when she was young. Uh, but this became a kind of a bone of contention. Uh, the trial was halted briefly on Thursday, the 3rd of May, 2001. As she was recounting her testimony at uh, the abuse she suffered as a child, she broke down into tears, uh, looked pale and exhausted, and had to be taken away to hospital. Uh, was that real? Or was that part of the, uh, the ploy to uh, gain attention? We don't know. Uh, either way, uh, her brother, uh, who allegedly chased her around the house with a knife, and, you know, said... Um, bad girls get sent away to prison this is our little secret has always denied that any sex took place between him and his sister uh what else we got uh the bat obviously the cricket bat and the knife was used in court that's pretty i mean it's it's hard to say it's self-defense when everything that's in there she said he hit him from the she hit him from the front as self-defense he was clearly hit over the head from the back and his head was split open that was the force there was no real movement from him obviously he's disorientated he's trying to get the knife out of his back but he's not getting up he died on the bed where he was hit there was no the police said there was no movement elsewhere he wasn't there was no blood marks around the room suggesting that he'd moved to the door he he died in the bed he you know trying to reach the knife and that's sadistic isn't it it's like you know she stabs him once she doesn't do multiple stabs she stabs him once and it goes right through his rib cage so there's a force on that right through his lung right nicks into his heart so he's bleeding to death already and then she retracts it slowly and twists it i mean that is just it's absolutely sadistic and horrific so um let's have i'm gonna whiz ahead a bit <coughs> Um, as mentioned, she was given a, a life sentence. Um, unfortunately, uh, this is where it gets slightly confusing. Uh, the, the law hadn't been applied correctly in that point relating to her tariff. So therefore, uh, it had to be reduced to 11 years before parole can be considered. Uh, obviously, quite rightly, Tommy's family are absolutely incessant about this, Do you know, um, the name of their son was dragged through the courts kind of he was made out to be the 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 defense made him out to be a, a massive pervert and kind of a an abusive violent man but you know so obviously they're fighting this all the way and constantly and when it came to the end she gets just 11 years uh what else we got it, it, her she went to appeal uh 23rd and 24th of September 2003 there was a ruling on the 15th of October um uh they'd had fresh psychiatric reports uh, strengthening her plea for diminished responsibility but uh when it went to trial uh this was rejected uh now this is I, I didn't put this in the story but this is where uh, things get slightly weird November 2009 she'd already served 9 years in custody she got 
technically two years to go. Uh, she escaped from East Sutton Park Prison in Maidstone, Kent. Again, this is an open prison, not a Category A, as reserved for people who are murderers or dangerous to society. This was an open prison. Um, uh, interesting as well, uh, she hadn't been sectioned at all. Uh, you you would think someone who had done something as horrific as that would be briefly sent to Broadmoor or something like that, but she wasn't. Uh, but she, yeah, she escaped from prison. Uh, she was captured in a hotel room with her family just six miles from the prison. Uh, she was ultimately not charged with absconding. Um, apparently she hated being in prison because women on the wing were uh, had a tendency to call her Fergie's bird. Uh, Fergie, obviously, Duchess of York. Um... Uh, let me just see. Yeah, uh, so she was found in a premiere in just a few miles away. I was going to do a whole bit about this in the story, but it's like we kind of already uh, wrapped this up. Uh, her friend Lucinda Sharp uh, at the time was very concerned about her safety and said that she was absolutely astonished, staggered and stunned as it didn't make sense why she would attempt to escape so close to her, her prison release date. Uh, so that was that one uh, as mentioned 2012 at, at unnamed prison see I'm getting good at this uh, uh, she had her parole rejected so she'd already served the 11 to 12 years it, it's 11 to 12 she'd, it, it was 12 but she don't forget she'd already served quite a, almost a year uh, on remand so that, that counts as well uh, she was rejected in her parole because, as they uh, had said, actually repeatedly a couple of times, she was a danger to the public and especially to men. But 19th of June 2015, um, she's classified as a danger to men. She has a history of mental instability, assault and violence, as well as premeditated murder. And yet she's given the lowest imaginable sentence <coughs> and was sent to an open prison, which is absolutely baffling. Uh, 21st of May 2015, um, it was announced that she would be released from prison quite rightly. Her uh, Tommy's family were absolutely upset about this. They went back to court to try and get this pushed back. Uh, but 19th of June 2015, she was released on licence with a view to making transition from prison to mainstream society in a probation hostel. Uh, a parole board spokesman said, we can confirm that a three-member panel uh, has directed the release of Jane Andrews. The decision to release is a matter for the board, which is independent. Arraignment, arrangements and the date of the release are a matter of the Ministry of Justice. We are unable to comment further on this case. Uh, by that point, Jane Andrews was 46 years old, which would mean she will be 51 or 52 by now. Uh, second imprisonment. So 2018, she was already out on licence. Uh, she was already she was not in a bail hostel anymore. I think she she either went back to living with her parents or she'd uh, managed to get into a kind of a, a temporary place. 2018, she was jailed again for breach of license, as it was claimed that she had. This is where it gets sketchy. She'd either harassed a man or a former girlfriend of a former boyfriend. Um. Uh. She went back to prison. Um. She was re-released again on the eighth of August, twenty nineteen. Uh, and is and was subsequently residing in a bail hostel. Um, Rick's uh, Tommy Cressman's brother Rick condemned the decision and told Birmingham Mail that a life sentence should mean life, um, and also warned that the probation board could one day regret their decision. Absolutely true. Um, 
She does, does seem like a bit, a bit of a scary lady, to be honest. <coughs> um, let's have a look. What else have we got down here? As mentioned, uh, this was this was uh, about a year ago. She was seen stacking shelves in a well-known supermarket. Uh, a well-known supermarket that I used to work in. Uh, not the same one uh, as a kid uh, many years ago. And I was earning £1.98 an hour. Or, if you were lucky, I was earning... Uh, two, I think it was two pounds fourteen on bank holidays. For the great days, the great days of uh, being paid pittance. The only good thing about that job was I worked in the in the in the dairy section. And I used to take a lot of cheese home. Yeah, I used to make up my my money with cheese. Um, and I used to take it home for the dogs. I'd take home meat as well. And I'd walk in the house, and the dogs would smell me, and they go ooh, and I go here you go doggies, and they go oh thank you very much cheese lovely. Dogs love cheese. Actually, dogs love any food, don't they? Except dog treats. Uh, right, let's do the answers to the questions. <sighs> right. Question number one. Why did Jane take the small kitchen knife to the bedroom? Uh, she was going to. She was using it as a letter opener. Who the hell uses a letter, letter opener today? Uh, question two. Uh, how far from his face could Tommy see without his glasses? It was 20 centimetres, uh, which is about, what's that, about uh, two-thirds of a foot. Uh, question three. What was Tommy's full name? It was Tommy Ashley Cressman. Question four, have a stretch. Oh, question four. His father owned which company? It was Bristol Street Motors. Question five. Which infamous racing driver did Tommy set up his company with? That was Sir Sterling Moss. Question six. Uh, what did Tommy train as before setting up his own company? He was a stockbroker. Boo, boo. Uh, question seven. Jane was briefly the PR manager for which famous London hotel? It was Claridge's, uh, which is in Mayfair. Question eight. What type of car did Jane drive? It was a VW Polo, a white VW Polo. Uh, question nine. Which prison was Jane sent to before her release? It was HMP Bullwood Hall. And question 10. Which supermarket chain was Jane last seen working in? That was Morrison's. More reasons for shopping at Morrison's. That is their jingle. And they came up with that while I was working there. Uh, and it used to piss me off because it doesn't work. More reasons for shopping at Morrison's. It doesn't quite work. I don't know who they paid for that but they did a terrible job anyway that's that hope you all enjoyed that that was uh that was uh episode 149 of um murder mile next week uh these are all going to be single parters uh to take us through to the end of the year except at the end of the year we have a very special two-parter oh exciting so have yourself a good week stay safe <laughs> <coughs> stay safe be good don't cough everywhere. Have a good week. Be good. Bye. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.